Welcome to the Aim and Practice podcast. I'm your host, Jess Reynolds, and in this podcast, we talk about life as a practitioner, wellness in general, and what it means to practice. In today's conversation, I chat with Kate. Now, Kate's been a practitioner for a little under a year, and she's practicing as a traditional Chinese medicine doctor, as well as an acupuncturist. And although her time spent practicing acupuncture is relatively minimal, the time that she has spent in the whole integrative medicine world is well over half her life, because as we'll hear with her story, she got sick at a relatively young age and decided to go the integrative medicine route in order to get well. She has a really cool story. We talk about what it means to be a good practitioner and a skillful practitioner. We talk a little bit about how to become that and how to develop these skills. And it's a great conversation. Enjoy. And let's jump in. How do you pronounce your last name? Veyu. Veyu? Mm-hmm. Do you like Dr. Kate? Dr. Kate Veyu? Do you like Dr. Veyu? I just Kate. It's great. Just Kate? Yeah. Cool. I always, this is just like a personal thing, but I like to have be kind of on equal planes with people Mm -hmm. and i feel like when we like start adding these like extra names on top of things it starts to become like a power play and i don't like that it's not natural to me it's not how i like to interact with people Mm -hmm. so you know what i found interesting about most tcmds is even though we're we're technically allowed to call ourselves doctors Mm -hmm. very few actually do yeah on occasion with like a formal introduction i'm just gonna move that right there is that a fine spot absolutely like with a formal introduction, some do, but mm-hmm. almost all of us are like, yeah, you know, I don't like Just it. Just call me Kate. <laughs> Just call me yeah. Kate, call me Jess, call me whatever. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And I think it has a little bit, well, a lot to do rather with that. We just, we're, on, we're all the same here. Yeah. Yeah. We're but, humans. Uh, At the end of the day, I'm exactly. a human and yeah. that's what I want you to see me as first before mm-hmm. anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, Kate, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And I think to start with, what I like to do is just hear a little bit about your story. I'm always interested in how people got into their variety of medicine and what got them into practice. So why don't you just start there? Okay. Well, um, this story goes back to probably about sixth grade um, when I first started getting stomach aches. And I went to my family doctor and they said, well take some probiotics. Okay. So I took some probiotics and then that really didn't do much for me, unfortunately. Um, so I, so I went back and they said, well, don't eat what you can't eat, which in theory sounds like a really great (laughs) solution, (laughs) right? But the things that I couldn't eat ranged from dairy gluten, uh, raw vegetables, raw fruit, um, any kind of sugar really. So it kind of left me with meat and cooked vegetables, which honestly isn't a bad thing. But when you're in sixth grade and you're still going to birthday parties and it's like, well, do you want a slice of pizza? It's like, well, I'll just take the pepperonis. Mm. And that's not really like a solution. And, you know, I'm only I don't know how old a grade six is, but not very old. So at that point, I would just eat the pizza and I would come home and my stomach would be bloated and it would be really uncomfortable and painful. And that was pretty much every day of my life for many, many years. And so my mom, who um, I really have to thank for all of it, she didn't really give up and that wasn't the solution for her. Mm. So she took me to see a acupuncturist and a herbalist. Um, 
my acupuncturist didn't do herbs. So it wasn't till many, many years later that I realized that traditional Chinese medicine was actually that combination of acupuncture mm. and herbs. But that was really what saved me at the end of the day was that alternative treatment. And we were just at a place that we were open to anything because what the mainstream medicine wasn't, it wasn't filling that gap for me. Right. So that's kind of how I got on this track to begin with. And then from a very early age, probably by grade 10, I had already seen how well this medicine was working. And I knew from there that I was going to give back by kind of following that medicine, essentially. Mm. Um, and that's why it's so I'm so passionate about all of it is because it's like brought me to a place where I no longer would consider myself to have a chronic condition because for many years truly from grade six to probably first year of acupuncture school I had these stomach aches all the time and sure it improved it wasn't as bad as when I was as young Mm -hmm. but it wasn't perfect I wasn't I wouldn't have referred to myself as healthy And as a child, you would think that you would be healthy. So, you know, the standard I wanted for myself to have a standard of health that was what I could look at as good, bare minimum. Like, just, I just wanted to be on the playing field. Mm -hmm. I didn't need to, like, I wasn't at that time aiming for above, but I just wanted to feel good about my day-to-day life. So that's how I got here. Um, And then I was super fortunate when I was looking at schools i went into light cellar and was having a conversation with one of the gentlemen there and he said wait a minute i have someone who's actually going to acupuncture school right now i think you should talk to them and so um am i allowed to say names yeah, whatever you want okay yeah so cj yeah uh worked at light cellar at the time and she's got these like light colored bluey greeny like pierced your soul eyes Mm -hmm. and she comes out and she's got this like cute brimmed hat on and just she said to me like if you do this you like your life will never be the same and you won't regret it but it will flip your life upside down in ways that you can't understand until you've gone through it Mm. and that excited me to my core. Yeah. And so that's how I ended up at Dr. Dew's school. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I never really looked back, to be honest. Um, there was a brief period of time where I wanted to be a naturopath. However, I met with a naturopath and I said, like, what does your practice look like? And she said, in Canada, you need a lot of help from the practicing MD that your patient is seeing. And if they are not willing to work with you, it can be a lot more difficult. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't what I was looking for. I was really looking for someone comes in, we have a conversation, we get into it, and I can do something then and there. Right. And so it's funny that I even kind of wanted to go to like to become a naturopath when that wasn't even what I had 
experienced myself Mm -hmm. for all these years. It was always acupuncture and always herbs and that combination together. And so now we're here. What do you think it was about naturopathy that made you even entertain that idea? Well, so for very many years, I, okay, not, this is, I guess this doesn't go away, but I had a learning disability. And so from a young age, I had this perception about myself that I would have to work harder than everyone else just to meet that like bare minimum standard, let's Mm. say like a 60%. Despite them saying that like, no, you're actually smart. It's just that it takes longer for things to set, like settle in. But as a child, it kind of, you miss that, that second part. Yeah. It was just the, like, it takes longer to set, like, for things, for you to learn things. And so I got really focused on academia and felt like running tests and having numbers was the end-all be-all mm. because I still came from that mindset of kind of that, still that Western mindset of, you know, how do we evaluate things? When in reality, for like literally since grade six, I've been seeing a herbalist and I've been seeing an acupuncturist and I've never been sent for those kinds of testing. So I'm not sure why that actually was important to me, but it took me a long time to get there. Um, But I'm grateful I did because it allowed me to do my undergrad in health science. And I don't know if I would have done that had I just wanted to go right into being an acupuncturist. So I'm actually very grateful for that experience. And it taught me a lot of things that I still use in my day-to-day life, even when talking with clients. So I'm not upset about it. Mm-hmm. It, was, I, it was all meant to be. Plus, otherwise, as a general rule of thumb, I think a lot of people going into acupuncture, it's their like second career in a way. Yeah. Whereas I was very fortunate that it was just my first. Yeah, yeah. So I might have been too young anyways. Yeah, if you had gone into it right out of high school. Yeah. Uh, I've only ever met, oh gracious, a small handful of people who went straight from high school into acupuncture. And it was almost always because it was a family thing, you know, right. like their parents were acupuncturists or TCMDs. So that was it. Everybody else, it's, there's a break. Yeah. Either an undergrad of some sort or a different job or many different jobs. Right. I mean, it was always going to be alternative medicine, mm-hmm. but j- just what variety, Yeah. what flavor. <laughs> So when, when, uh, when CJ told you, you know, it's, it's going to be a big change in life, you're going to come out of this a totally different person and, Mm -hmm. you know, you're really excited about that. Did it turn out to be true? That's a great question. On one hand, I do think that is true. But in a lot of ways, I think the ball was already rolling for me in that direction just because of my past experiences. I had already had acupuncture, you know, weekly for many years of my life. So I had already started to learn that alternative way of thinking. Mm. I had seen what my herbalist had prescribed to me and listened to her reasoning behind things. And so in that respect, I was already going in that direction. But I don't know if I understood to the extent. Mm -hmm. And I think it's changed my perception of what health is. Mm. How so? From a Western perspective, I think that a lot of people 
think of health as the absence of disease. Okay. I think that's like a general kind of thought, but I actually think health, if you want to break it down a little bit further, just like at our baseline is being in a rhythm, your own rhythm. I'm okay with your own rhythm, but that would mean your body knows how to cycle as far as knowing when it needs to sleep, knowing when it is hungry, having those hunger cues when you wake up, you should be hungry within that first couple hours. Having a bowel movement every day, does your body know how to do that? Mm. Do you have a regular menstrual cycle? And so on and so forth. Right. So these are, in my perception, like the, the base of mm. what health should be. I'm curious about if... Let's say, for example, at this stage in your life, mm-hmm. with your education that you have, yeah. if we were to like turn back one of the clocks and suddenly poof, you're back to grade six level sick, mm-hmm. right? Like you've got all of these issues. Mm-hmm. Would that change the definition at all? Because the to me, what you just described about the definition of health is like, that's ideal and optimal is having your own rhythm figured out and, mm-hmm. you know, being able to identify it versus the maybe classical definition of the absence of disease, right? So how do you think the definition shifts depending on one's state? Are you asking if a person has a chronic condition, what does health look like? Mm-hmm. Or would your perspective on the definition of health shift? It's a good question. I think in a lot of cases, what I see in clinic at least, they are chronic conditions that don't need to be chronic. So for those people, like myself in grade six, I would still, that would still be my goal to get them there. Right. And I'm not saying that that is a six month journey. I'm not. Mm -hmm. It was years for me. It was, it was literally more than half of my life. It's still more than half of my life. Right. So as a general rule, I would say it is a trajectory Mm. and we take a couple steps forward. We might have a setback, but we're kind of always still making those improvements towards, in my mind, that baseline of still being in that cycle. That doesn't mean that there aren't days that I don't sleep well or Mm -hmm. that I don't have a bowel movement. But as a trend, Mm -hmm. I don't have stomach aches anymore. Yeah. So I was still going towards being healthier. And it's always that refinement. It's not, it's not in like, by no means is health actually a stationary thing. Mm -hmm. It's, you will never achieve health. It's not this, yeah, it's not a fixed identity that like yep i've gotten here check mark we're good now Mm -hmm. it's still always that kind of searching for more for me at least and i don't know that that's maybe necessarily true for everyone because they might check mark okay you know what i'm feeling better check mark good but when people come in to see me i'm trying to bring them to that level that's Mm -hmm. the level that i would like i know ideals 
not always the case. I think I think it's an okay word, though. I mean, often when I when I consider health, I, I health is a spectrum, right? I consider the spectrum of health, and on one end, we've got people who are incredibly sick, chronically ill. They have a variety of diseases, right? On death's door, right totally. at the far end, all the way to the opposite end of this spectrum, which is the best that they can possibly be right. at that time. Sure, yeah, the important absolutely. part is at that time, right? Yeah. And as you move through time, then that spectrum changes just a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. But either way, is as we move from one end of the spectrum to the other, it's it's a constantly shifting target. And many people that I have seen would be like you in grade six, right? Just like sick, or maybe even you when you graduated, like mm, sick, but getting better. Right. And the mindset I find of people who are quite unwell is so different than the mindset of somebody who sort of crossed that threshold, mm, you know? Yeah. Like there's this point in the healing journey when somebody can, you know, check that hypothetical box being like, I, I actually feel good. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. So I consider that the middle point of this yep. spectrum. It's like below this, you're unhealthy. Above this, you're, you're aiming towards optimal. Right. But the mindset on either side of those is is pretty pretty fundamentally different. Like I find those mm. who are sick and unwell, it's like, I just, I just want to feel better. Like I just don't want to feel so shitty all the time. Okay, then I have a question maybe for you. Do those people... Or are those people the ones where we offer the solutions Mm. and then they don't do them? Yeah. I think, and maybe part of this, and this actually kind of fits into it anyways, um, with kind of this idea of what health is, is that it is fluid. So, and by definition of being fluid, that means that you would be open to change. Are you open to change? Mm. I think that's... Probably the most important question to ask somebody who's unwell. Mm. Are you open to change? How how willing are you to change? Totally. What I've gotten in the habit of is when I get a chronic client, I, I have this ready to change quiz. It's, mm. it's actually called that, where it takes them through a set of questions and it helps me identify if this person is, is ready or willing, uh, at what stage are they? Because for many people who are in that chronically ill state, they have the mind of just give me the pill, just mm-hmm. make this go away. Absolutely. Versus the other people who come in and they're like, I will do whatever anything, you want. whatever you want. And you're like, yes. yes. Yeah. And that's like, I don't know, probably 1%. Yeah. It's pretty low. It is. Uh, but those, those people, those are the ones that I really love working with. Yeah. Right. And it sounds me like too. that's the type of client you were or patient you were when you were getting well yeah i mean i have tried all of the herbs and i have tried well i guess maybe tried isn't the right word but i abided by you know restricting things that didn't make me feel good especially in the beginning where i couldn't eat anything whereas just for people's understanding i don't restrict my food anymore i can eat whatever i want i could have gluten not to say that it's good for me but it's not going to make me bloated Mm. and it's not going to you know stop me from living my life um back in grade six like i would just wear baggy clothing because i knew by the end of the day i would just feel so uncomfortable that i didn't want anything pressing on my stomach Mm -hmm. so change is possible. You just have to be willing to, to give it the time and the effort. 
I think. I, I really appreciate hearing that. And, and I've had this conversation a number of times with different practitioners about approaching clients and how unbelievably important their mindset is. Mm. Uh, you get those clients who come in and they're like, I've tried everything, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, you, you maybe have tried everything, but there's a good chance you haven't because everything is a lot, right? Totally. And oh, yeah. There's almost always a way to recover. There's qualifications, right? Like sometimes, sure. quite frankly, it's just not. Somebody has severe cirrhosis of the liver, the liver's not bouncing back, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, there, there's there's lines that once you've crossed it, mm-hmm. you're not moving to that healthy side of the spectrum totally. anytime soon. But almost everybody I've encountered who are, who are chronically ill, be it autoimmune condition or just this unknown illness where they feel sick and crappy all the time. The possibility of getting to that that middle point of just feeling good is mm-hmm. nearly 100%. And then yeah. the possibility of moving much farther down that spot, uh, spectrum closer to optimal, I think that's also very close to 100%, 100%. But man, their mindset matters. Yes, I agree with that. I think part of that too is kind of meeting your client where they're at. And um, part of my learning as a new practitioner is kind of putting my ego aside as far as as understanding that not everybody is actually ready to do what they need to do to feel better. Mm-hmm. And so when they don't, some people, when they don't come back, I chalk it up to they just weren't ready to partake on this health journey for themselves, opposed to, you know, it was me. Um, but that's something we don't get taught in school. No, no. You know, and on that note, this will be a tricky question. What's, uh, what's a couple things, maybe even just one okay. thing that you, you really think should be taught, uh, in school. And this isn't just acupuncture school, although you can keep it to that. Mm-hmm. Cause of course that's, that's where you're coming from. But like now that you're practicing, you're what, six months into being a full-time practitioner, Nearly right? a year. Nearly a year <laughs> into being a full-time practitioner. What's like a couple of the lessons you've learned in this last year where you're like, man, I really wish I had known this ahead of time. Okay. First and foremost, I went into this to be an acupuncturist, but have you ever seen those like memes where it's like, I'm a, I'm a, whatever, a massage therapist and this is what I do. And it's like, like what I think I do, which is like probably laundry um, like what other people think right, they yeah, do, yeah. right? Um, one of those things that I don't feel like we learned was the business aspect because that's huge. Like you don't, you're not like a doctor or a dentist where people literally are knocking down your door to be seen by you. So there is a business and marketing aspect that that's not even touched. And granted, maybe it should be optional. But I would have signed up for that because it's something that's been a huge learning curve for me personally. Second of all, a lot of the people we saw in our student clinic came back. So I never had to worry about like, all right, so like, let's talk about what a truly what it means to rebook someone Hmm. and how that also might impact your treatment plan which I know that that seems like it shouldn't, there shouldn't be any crossover there, but there is. Mm -hmm. The amount of people who cannot tolerate the amount of needles we put in them in student clinic 
is staggering. In fact, I would say most people can't tolerate that. I could not tolerate that now. And I think I'm relatively healthy Mm. and should be able to tolerate that. So if I can't, never mind like someone who is deficient and who or who is far on that sliding scale of like quite chronic um, with their and, and their disease and their health. So. I think just generally the that business aspect of it, because it's not just like what happens in the treatment room, it's then afterwards as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? I have a lot of gentlemen who will not let me put a needle in their wrists, their ankles, their head. It's truly like you get my back and that is all you get. Whereas in school, no one's like, you can't do that. I am pretty sure I've had, I had nobody tell me that. In Mm. fact, I had people tell me I should do more. Right. And that's really not the case. Um, Yeah, so business, marketing, and, like, client retention. Mm. Or, and, where do you, I guess, marketing. It's like, where do you find your clients? Yeah. Yeah, I think I I resonate with that completely. I found the exact same thing when I graduated. I mean, I I graduated and just jumped right into owning my own business, Mm -hmm. you know, like, my own, everything on the go. And it was kind of okay for the first couple months because I had some clients that I'd been seeing in the student clinic and they followed me along. But once I got out of student student clinic, I started charging real prices, Mm -hmm. you know, like what I should actually be. And within four to six months, I had nobody, literally nobody, because we didn't learn how to do marketing. We didn't learn how to do client retention or rebook or any of that sort of stuff. So I agree. I think that's that's such an important skill that gets neglected. And it's, I think, one of the things that, that makes you a skilled practitioner or an individual skilled practitioner is the ability to communicate that without coming across as salesy or yeah i mean people um, pick up on that they do yeah yeah i'm sure we've all had the experience of going to a practitioner of one variety or another and it's like good it was good to see you now i want to book you in every week for let's say the rest of your life you know and you get this feeling of like is that really necessary? Right. Um, so how do you have that conversation with somebody in a way that doesn't feel salesy to the client? It feels authentic to you, uh, that respects their boundaries and yours. Like it's, it's something that is challenging, but I'm curious, how would one teach that? Part of this might just be life experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay to chalk it up to that as well, because as we've already determined, I went from being a student my entire life and this is my first profession. Yeah. Um, so one might say, I just don't have that experience yet. Yeah. And even if I had come from, let's say, a business world where it's a nine to five and you get paid, you have a salary. This is also very different mm-hmm. because every single encounter is not guaranteed. So therefore, it's not guaranteed salary. And it's not about money. Let's just be clear. It's not about money, but you still need money to live. Exactly. It's it's like, it's not about money, but at the same time, and this is this is that paradox mentality of TCM, it's like, it's not about money, but equally as much, yeah. it is actually about money. Totally. So I think we need to hold both of those in yes. in this, this equilibrium, right? right? This balance. I think though, when you're talking to your patients and they understand that you are truly 
or that you truly have their best interest at heart, they there's this like resonance. Mm. They can feel it. And I think that that's maybe the one of the keys, but I don't know how you teach it. Yeah. I'm not really I'm not entirely sure on that one. Um let's go back to when you were you were starting in school, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the people who are listening are, are massage therapists or perhaps other practitioners. And a question I get a lot is should I go to acupuncture school? Should I become mm. an acupuncturist? Okay. So yes, I like it. What what would you say to somebody who asks you that question, particularly having just gone through the process? Yeah. First and foremost, yes. Short answer, yes. Um, why? Because there is such a need. I love massage and massage is great, but there are limitations to massage. And however, maybe that's all you want. Maybe that's that's good. But you might have people on your table that are going, oh, and I've got these digestive issues. I've got really painful headaches or maybe it's menstrual cramps. Um, you know, I'm always constipated, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, what do you do? Mm. Well, acupuncture can help with a lot of those things. You can go to your family doctor. They'll give you a laxative. They'll give you probiotics. They'll put you on birth control. And maybe that's okay as well for you. But maybe you're saying like, you know what? I actually just want that to happen naturally in my Mm. own body. And acupuncture has the ability to help so many people when Western medicine simply has a pill fix. So for anyone who is looking for something other than that pill fix, this is a brilliant medicine. Mm. It really is. So yeah, I, I, yes, yes, go for it. Okay. Um, however, not to say there's not your challenges, right? That would be my next question is like, okay, so you've said yes. And somebody's like, great, I'm going to go for it. Yeah. And they, they just registered. They're starting school in a couple months. They're about to embark on this three to four year journey in acupuncture. What do you tell them about that process? Like, what do they need to know going into acupuncture school? The mindset from this Eastern to Western is quite different. That is not to say that one is better than the other. So it really depends what kind of a person you are. Are you curious? Do you like to ask questions? Do you, like, you have to be creative, which is actually part of what I really like about this medicine as well, is because at a desk job, personal opinion here, it's a little bit mundane. But when you're working with people, every single person is different. Even if you you have two people coming in with stomach aches, it's going to be different. One person's going to get better faster. Why is the other person not getting better as fast? And so it's always refining, always questioning. It's quite, it, it keeps you on your toes. Mm-hmm. So you're never going to be bored. And when you think you're bored, something new comes out. I don't know if I've ever been bored, so I'm not really sure that that is truly relevant. But like, you can't practice medicine and then be like, I know it all. Mm -hmm. Because it is that fluid state. Whatever you're doing today might not work tomorrow. Mm. And that could just mean that the formula that you're using, and not like as in a herbal formula, but like the process of thinking about 
treating someone will change. Hmm. And that's a great thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So within that, what do you really think it, it means then to practice acupuncture? And, and I mean that word like, like practice, as in literally practice, you know, the same way one might practice violin. What does it mean to, to practice mm. medicine or practice as an acupuncturist? What does that look like for you? Well, four years is simply not enough to like know acupuncture, first and foremost. That was like, you know, the two or I don't know, six week driver's course to be like, like now you can drive a car with your parent, <laughs> except that the government now gave me a license. So I like, that's really where I feel like they, you come out of school and you're, that's where you are. Mm -hmm. So to practice acupuncture is still, there's always this aspect of learning regardless. So it's, it's fluid, but it's creative. It's intuitive. What do you do to practice then? Like, what I mean by that is when you're in school, mm -hmm. you practice your point location and you practice sure. your needle techniques. And now that you're out of school, how do you, how do you get better at what you're doing? Mm. How, do you, how do you pursue that? I think right now, because school focuses so much on just acupuncture, I am now working on my communication skills with people. Mm -hmm. And what that means is taking this uh, Eastern mindset and being able to translate it into something that someone who's never had acupuncture in their life can understand and also then buy into. Not as in like a sales pitch, but something that they can understand and wrap their minds around and then go, oh, okay, that makes sense. That currently is the skill that I think I'm working on mm -hmm. because there are times where I'm like, it makes sense to me, but I've also had four years of school that taught me how to think this way. And that's, the, I think that's the part that I'm currently working on, the, that, that skill. That's, that's a big skill. I mean, I can resonate with what you first said about when you go into school, learning Chinese medicine versus Western medicine, it's fundamentally different. I mean, I, I, I remember within the first couple months, I called up my sister and I'm complaining and I'm like, I can't believe this. Simultaneously, I have to learn Latin for anatomy and physiology. And then I have to learn the literal language of Chinese. And then I have to learn how to think like somebody completely different. Because in TCM or acupuncture, the Western mind just does not work. If you try and approach it with this analytical, very Western mind, you're dead in the water. You, you have to fundamentally change the way you perceive the world. And that was like the first year. Like, I don't even remember learning things in the first year. I just remember trying to figure out how I can turn my brain into mush and metamorphosize it into something completely different, right? Totally. So then you spend a year doing that, and then you spend three more years existing just in that little bubble totally. where everybody you surround yourself with is talking the same language and you don't even think about the fact that you're saying like kidney deficiency anymore it just it just comes out because it makes sense to you totally then you get into the real world yeah. and it's like you have to recombobulate totally you have to remember that when you say kidney deficiency to somebody they're going to be like what's wrong with my kidneys right, right? absolutely so, yes yeah yes and i think that's maybe one of the most important skills that i've been working on in the last year of my life mm. Um, I, I feel like, you know, it, I'm, I'm not doing awful. People come back. <laughs> so, but definitely a skill that 
is not taught in school. Mm-hmm. I don't know if one can. I don't know if one can either. Yeah. I know these some of these things I truly believe are learned experience. Mm-hmm. But it's like, how do you get this experience? Yeah. Because you still have to see all the people. Um, and, and then you have people who, you know, some of the people that are going to come see you are very analytic, science-based minds. Mm-hmm. So you have to speak their language. And then there are people who are very, like, heart-centric and, you know, they're okay with, you know, it's like, well, and this is going to resonate with you mm-hmm. and y- using that kind of a language. So yeah. knowing your client as well is going to be huge. Mm-hmm. But again, it's a learning. It. To me, I view it very much as an art, and that's part of why I always ask this question about mm. practice, right? Because I, I can't help but compare medicine to learning an instrument or something like that. Totally. And when you when you learn how to play an instrument, you can change the way others feel by what chords you're playing, the progression you're playing. But when you first start learning that instrument, it's like you learn a couple songs poorly, mm-hmm. and there's no real feeling or emotion to it. It's just like you're regurgitating and reiterating the same chords, right? That's totally. year one of school. And then eventually yep. by year four of school, you've learned a couple songs that you can play with feeling, right? Mm-hmm. But then a musician who's been practicing their art for years and years and years, so they can walk into a room and they can take the entire room on this emotional journey, right? And an artist can see that and understand that and, and know how to perform their art in a mm. way that affects others. Totally. And I feel it's very much the same for a practitioner. It's like when, when we are in a room, in the beginning, we're playing our instrument of communication quite poorly. You know, we're not in tune with the other person. Yeah. But the longer we play, the longer we can pick up on the song that they're playing. And we could just jump right in, you know, to use that analogy yeah, of music. Yeah, no, right? I agree. And just like with music, there's... There's no way to get better at that other than doing it, doing it, yeah. putting in the practice day in and day out and just, just dedicating yourself to it. A hundred percent. Well, and I think that just goes into another conversation that maybe we have is um, walking the walk and talking the talk, right? Yeah. Like when you can really, when you do what, what you tell others to do, they're going to listen a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. It's not something unrealistic because it's yeah. like, okay, I do this too. Um, and, and here are the benefits and here's why. Mm -hmm. And it's not just like this formula, this A plus B is equal to C and this is why you should do it. It, There's a little bit more to it. For sure. For sure. Right. And particularly when we tell our clients something like, let's use something relatively simple, like exercise, right? We tell our client, you need to exercise every day. Just telling a client that is virtually meaningless. Like it means nothing at all. Mm -hmm. But then maybe we want to be specific and we say, you need to exercise for 45 minutes every single day. That's specific. That's good. Maybe even go a step further and tell them exactly what to do. Now, the difference between somebody like yourself who walks the walk, walks the walk and talks the talk is, you know what it's like to be chronically ill and have somebody look at you and be like, you need to exercise for 45 minutes. It's such a huge difference when you really do understand what it takes to participate in these these uh, wellness activities and really understand what's necessary to to be healthy and move along that spectrum versus, and this is unfortunate, a lot of the time when we go to the doctor or we go to a practitioner, it's just this generic advice of what you need to do to get better. So could you maybe tell me a little bit about how your experience going through your healing journey mm. affects how you interact with your clients and how you 
prescribe different forms of home care and how you communicate to them the importance of participating in their own wellness. Yeah. So one of the big things that I focus on is making it really easy. Because if it's difficult, people aren't going to do it. So first and foremost, I start with food often. So I see a lot of gut and I see a lot of uh, female reproductive issues. So the first thing I like to start off with is food. Let's just try and shift that a little bit. And I'm not saying like a overhaul. Let's start with like one or two things. And then when they come back and they're like, okay, you know what? I've done that now for two weeks. It's going well. Okay. Then we can see if we need to go further. Um, and of course, with a lot of these things, it takes time. For a menstrual cycle, you only get one of those a month, hopefully. Um, so to see change is going to take a couple months. So they need to be able to stick with it for a couple months. So I like to start with something, you know, for example, let's just say with gut health, um, doing a ginger tea. It's really soothing on the gut. It's relatively easy. It's inexpensive. And it's kind of this gateway to being like, are they going to, do they have the mindset to stick with it? Mm -hmm. um, and are they willing to? So. We start there and they're okay. Okay. You know, it's going really well, but I still have gut issues. Okay. Now let's bring on herbs. Herbs, they don't taste that great, um, but they do really incredible things. But if you're not even going to be able to make ginger tea once a day, you're probably not going to take your right. herbs, despite it being a pill, maybe kind of a pill fix, despite working at the root and strengthening the gut. It's, it's still one of those things that if, if you're not even willing to make a tea, let's say, or mm -hmm. to drink X amount of water or to make bone broth once a month, they're probably not going to do it. Yeah. So I just like to start with something easy. Brilliant. And often they will say that actually really helped. And mm -hmm. then now I've got them. I've got their attention and now I can take it to the next step. Mm -hmm. But if I, I, I find that if I start with herbs right out the gate, the compliance is low. And they don't do it. They don't stick with it. And they come back and the problem hasn't changed. So I just like to start really easy. Yeah. Something that's like almost mundane. And But once I get them there, it seems like the, the success rate goes up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like that. I, I often say aim low. Yeah. Because once you get those first couple wins, those first bit of success, then getting compliance is way easier. Totally. So I certainly appreciate that. Yeah. And, and maybe that is a way of just kind of, you know, evaluating the mindset as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, are you ready to make the changes or are you not? Mm -hmm. And now at this, this stage in your healing journey, now that you feel closer to the optimal end of the spectrum of health, what, what do you do to do your own wellness stuff? Yeah. Like what are the important things in your life to, to stay healthy? Although I don't take as many herbs as I used to, I still implement a lot of the same gut healing or maybe even just gut health maintaining um, things that I used to do. So, for example, that could be a ginger tea, that could be bone broth. Those are two of my staples. I always have them on hand. I have ginger in my freezer for whenever I need it. And I don't just drink it when I'm feeling unwell. A. B. Part of my issue is I was a tea breather. So I only 
was breathing in my like thoracic zone. I didn't breathe into my stomach at all. And so it was just hard. I was in this constant bracing. Yeah, I was always bracing my my abdominal muscles. And so nothing moved. Mm. And so I like to check back in, especially when I'm driving. It's like, like at a red light, it'll be like, okay, let's do a couple belly breaths. And that's just one of the things that I found helped early on. And so now it's just kind of something I, I do. And then the third thing is because my gut issues were actually really related to my headspace is getting out of my head. And for me, my favorite is going into nature. Mm. Um, but that could be a bath with a candle. Right. That could be a book. That could just be doing something mindless. But definitely my favorite is just getting out into nature. It just mm-hmm. really kind of resets the nervous system. Mm-hmm. So those are just the kind of the things that I do to maintain gut health. And then if I need to, I can always supplement further with more herbs or supplements as well. I like that. I like that. It's it's kind of hitting on the the foundational, what I call the elements of health, right? The most basic things. Nature, of course, being incredibly important. Mindfulness, staying centered, dealing with stress, yeah. dealing with uh, all the stuff that's going on up here. And yes. then, of course, nutrition and what you put in your body. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, things that, well, I'm very fortunate that now the list of things that bother me is very small. Mm. Um, but for many years, it was just, you know, keeping track of that. Um, you know, seed oils are still something or or like um, canola and vegetable oil. Like mm-hmm. those are those are still on my avoid list um, and they still flare me up. And I don't know if that is a. Like you reach the age of 25, which is not old, but I feel like that's. I was doing good and still. Get thrown off by things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that's an awareness thing or just, you know, you, you, you don't have to be old for things to actually be inflammatory to you. You sure don't. So, but Mm -hmm. that's one of those things that like are, it's a, it's a no for me. Yeah. (laughs) I think those are very important things to know and everybody has a different threshold, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, for myself, my, my allowable food list is relatively small, or maybe I should say my not allowed food list is relatively large. Right. Um, and that's fine for me. It works great. Mm-hmm. But everybody's a little bit different on that part, on that realm. And I think it's important to to know that about your clients because because of my own personal experience, I put that on my clients all the time. I'd mm-hmm. be like, under no circumstances can you have X food? Because True. in my mind, I'm like, that is so horrific. It's like napalm for my system. Absolutely. But then they're like, but it actually doesn't bother me at all. And then other people, like I, I could eat a dozen eggs a day and have no problem whatsoever, but somebody else looks at an egg and it's like they break out in hives, right? Totally. So um, for myself, at least, it was very important to not put my own experience onto my, my patients and clients. And that was a skill I had to learn over the years for sure. And when I started, it was like, everybody, elimination diet. Step number one, that's what you got to do. The easiest <laughs> possible thing, right? Yeah, super easy, um, high compliance. Oh, yes. <laughs> everybody wants to do that. Such a good time. It's the worst. It's not fun. No. No. Mm. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I really like the approach to health being as easy as possible. And so I really like to start with food. Yeah. And it doesn't doesn't really have to be complicated. I, I think it's unfortunate because so much of the health world seems complicated and it gets 
over-exaggerated and it's almost as if there's big parts of being healthy that are behind some sort of wall. Mm. Maybe it's a paywall, like in order to be healthy, you've got to take this program or eat these specific foods that cost a fortune. Um, But particularly with... They do. Food is expensive. Food is getting more expensive. Especially good food is expensive. Yeah, it is. It is. You know what's interesting is, uh, I can't remember where I read this, but not too terribly long ago, it was talking about the percentage of a person's income that was... Goes towards food. Goes towards food. And... Up until the 1940s, it was like 40 or 50% of the income went towards food. Okay. Now it's down to like 10% or something like that because processed food is so affordable relative to fresh food. So the amount of income has gone down if you're eating processed food. But that being said, if you're eating fresh food, yeah. it's I was still... Like, I don't think so. No. I don't know if you've seen my grocery list, but... and what I have to pay out of yeah. pocket at the end of each week. No, it's like, it's like mortgage and then food as far as, as expenses. Yeah. Yes. So, so yes, I mean, it can be behind the, these walls, but I think an unfortunate part too with, with social media is people will go on there and be like, here's what, then they're, you know, they're just ripped or they're super fit and healthy. And it's like, the thing you have to do to be healthy is run up a mountain five times a week and take this, pill. take this pill and do all these things. And it's like somebody who's unwell, they look at that and they're like, I want it. And then, and then they try it and they get to the bottom of the mountain and they're like, what, you know, like, so it's, it's, I really appreciate your approach of start small, start with something that's attainable simple. that you can actually do simple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody has ginger at their grocery store. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. And how much, well, this might be a little bit projecting, but I feel like a lot of issues stem from gut health. So, as Hippocrates <laughs> said, right, all disease begins in the gut. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one thing that almost probably everybody could benefit from is working on their gut health. Mm-hmm. Let's just do ginger tea. Yeah. To start. To start. To yeah. start. And I'm, I'm not making it out to be that simple because it, it really is not. It did not take me, you know, almost two thirds of my life to get. To where I was with your ginger tea. I'm going right. to start calling you Doctor Ginger Tea. You can that do is that. Officially, That's your fine. new nickname. Amazing. I love it. <laughs> I harp on it, but it's just because it's so simple. Yeah, and, I hear you. And still, still has great effects. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yes. So over the years, you've been to quite a few different practitioners. Yeah, you've uh, had a lot of experience when you were younger, through teen, your adult years, and now you're you're a practitioner. So what do you think in your experience as a patient mm. what makes a great practitioner this is a hard question of course i'm going to state some things that maybe they're givens maybe they're not but in my head they're givens um your practitioner needs to know what they're talking about so there needs to be some level of intellect there for me to buy into it um often that comes in with the practitioner being able to explain why I am curious, I need to know. So if I can't explain it or if they can't explain it, they've lost me. Mm -hmm. Firstly, second of all, anytime it comes, becomes like salesy or um, cookie cutter, it's not that appealing. You know, you come in, we do the thing, you get out, you book again. It's not really my jam. But I think maybe, because I thought about this a lot, the 
thing that makes a practitioner great, so you've already got these things, right, that maybe sets them apart is their ability or their nervous system's ability to bear witness to me and my, you know, all my gut issues as, as a patient and to hold that space for me that I have been seen, I've been heard, and then they can do something about it. Hmm. But the, the something, doing something about it, everyone can do something about it. But it's that, it's this resonance. And I don't ma- mean to make it sound so like woo-woo, because it's not. Mm-hmm. And it's such an important skill, and I, I just don't know how else to maybe put it. But it's this like moment of, I understand. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't understand, like you don't have to have physically gone through my journey. And yet I still can feel my nervous system settle. Yeah. The term that I've heard used for that uh, is feeling felt. Feeling you get felt. the scent of feeling felt. Like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's totally different than compassion or empathy. It's right. like it's an energetic sensation yes. where there's no words necessary to be spoken. It's yeah. just you you uh, you feel felt. And when you leave those sessions, it's just like yeah, mm-hmm. it feels good. Yeah, yeah. I I would curious to hear your opinion on this. Is like let's say I know this is not the way it actually works, but let's pretend it is. Let's say the solution to your your problem was. Acupoint one, two, three, and four, mm-hmm. and herb W. Okay. Sure. And there's two practitioners, and they both give you the exact same points and the exact same herbal formula. And that's that's the medical fix, we'll call it. Sure. Practitioner one makes you feel felt. Practitioner two doesn't. Cookie cutter. Cookie cutter. Yeah. How much of a difference on the overall efficacy of the treatment do you think that has? I think it would probably be quite substantial because I really do believe that a lot of what we do is just bringing people back into alignment so that their bodies can do what they need to do. Mm -hmm. And therefore, if you're not feeling safe, if you're not feeling felt, then it's like a robot. It's like a, it's a very cold feeling. Yeah. And I was thinking about this the other day. It's like, you go to the grocery store. Do you remember anybody that you see when you walk by? Like you, you were not seen. How much of your day is being seen? Probably very little. So for that one hour, you want to give that client time to be seen Mm -hmm. they might not even be seen at home because they might be cleaning up after dinner Mm -hmm. cooking dinner putting kids to sleep whatever yeah and it's not necessarily being seen so so as as a patient you think one of the best things that your practitioner can do is to help you feel felt as -hmm. a practitioner now what do you do to bring that into the treatment room or maybe a better question is how do you embody that Mm -hmm. great question still working on it for sure firstly 
I do not rush. I do not. I am not a rusher. I, my husband would, um, in a metaphor of life, actually, and in real life, he is like the hare. He like will sprint up mountains, and I am very much like a one-speed donkey, and that's how I like to refer to myself as. So I don't like to rush with clients. I like them to be able to finish their stories because, again, it's about being feeling felt, being seen. And so allowing them that time to talk through their experience can be really healing in and of itself before we've even gotten on the table. I also like to ensure I've answered all those questions because that can create a sense of safety. And I know that for me personally, having those questions answered is what kind of puts me at ease. It makes me feel like I've got control again, that there's autonomy there as a patient, that I know what's going to be happening and why. So we're not going to rush. We're going to create safety. And then I also just like to see where people are at on the day of, because sure, maybe they come back every month every two weeks whatever where are they at today because sometimes they're going to come in and maybe they're coming in for back pain but they've had a really rough week and getting in there and needling their back and really making like working things out isn't actually in the patient's best interest so just trying to be like focused on that hour being like very intentional about like what truly is best Mm. And it's a it's a listening skill because it's not necessarily something that they're going to be able to come in and verbally tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Those are, I think, the things I'm working on at least. The third one is is a very very Taoist approach, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of going with the flow, uh, the, yeah. the Wu Wei idea. It's like when you are in tune with nature and in touch with nature, and in this case, I mean the client's nature. It's like you you don't know, like knowledge know and the brain know that what they actually need is some relaxation session or something like that. Right. But when you do walk into a session and you've got that just openness and ready to yeah. experience this client in this moment, open-minded, right? Then, then you do have the ability to adapt and shift and change in a way that's most optimal to them. And when you say listen, I, I think that's an interesting word. And I'm curious... How how do you listen? Mm. Sometimes it's to their voice. That could be they're talking really fast. That could be that there's almost this like sorrow in their voice. Defeat. I'm going to take it a little bit more easy. Or I'm going to add in a lot more, or more of some of the acutonics. Um, or points that are more for that kind of mind calming. Sometimes it can even just be in their posture. It can be in this, like, the the stare that they're giving you. When they look at you in the eyes, it's like, are they there today? Mm-hmm. Have they checked in today? Because if they haven't checked in, then I'm not going to, like, go full throttle. So it doesn't have to be verbal. hmm and sometimes it's the things I don't say. Yeah. And 
maybe that's a little bit reading between the lines and it helps when you get to know your clients better, but sometimes it's what they don't say. That second point you said was create safety. Mm. That's big. Like that's, that's a big thing for a lot of people is this sense of not feeling safe. And I think for a lot of people, the reason that their nervous system is wound so tightly and they've got the inability to relax is this not feeling safe. Yeah. How do you go about manifesting that in a treatment room? How do you, Mm. how do you help somebody feel safe, safe enough to be vulnerable? Right. I take a lot of my own experiences with what helps me feel safe and try and apply it within the treatment room. So some of that is answering questions. Some of that is even just having a button there that like, if you need me, I'm going to come back immediately. Sometimes I won't even leave. If I don't feel like you're there, that you could be left alone to feel safe. Like if you just need someone to be there with you, I'll stay. So it, it still really depends. It's very, not a very straightforward answer, but um, I, I generally find that if you can set an expectation and then follow through with it, mm. people, that's how you begin to um, have trust with someone, So which sounds, therefore builds safety. That's what it sounds like, right? Trust equals safety. Yeah. 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 So if I say this point's going to feel deep, dull, and achy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It felt deep, dull, and achy. Okay. And you're going to feel it and then it's going to subside. Maybe they'll still be a little bit spicy. You might know that they're there, mm-hmm. but it's going to subside. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That you're right. That did happen. So just being able to even give them, offer them that it's like that, this like lock and key situation where it's as soon as you get one of those mm-hmm. and you can offer them that their nervous system does start to just yeah. melt. Mm-hmm. Did you go through the process of learning that skill through a book or through another practitioner? Is it something that you naturally came across in your experience Mm. of practice? I think that is naturally who I am. Mm. And therefore, it was, I'm not sure where I learned it. I feel like it was a bit innate. Yeah. Is that too, like, I need to feel safe. Hmm. I think when you're in a treatment room, you get this sense, this knowing, but it's not knowledge knowing where people are at, if you're listening. And therefore, I've had enough experiences where I didn't necessarily feel safe. And then when I did, it's like this like little light bulb went off. Because mm-hmm. so I've been to the people who was like, we do these three points, we do this herb, and I like I come in, we do it, we don't really need to talk because I already know. I already know you. And it's like not feeling felt. Yeah. And then when you do feel felt, you're like, oh yeah, okay, this is this is what I want. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'll come back for as well. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So if if you were to try and summarize and consider what you know based on you as a practitioner and your experience having been to a huge number of practitioners and what I find really cool about your experiences, although you've only been a licensed practitioner for a year, you've been in this world of complementary mm-hmm. alternative integrative medicine for most of, my life. most of your life, yeah. right? Right. So what would you say to a practitioner of any form of medicine? How can they 
become better? What can they do to become a better practitioner of their particular variety of medicine? I really think that they need to do the work as far as learning how to settle their own nervous systems. And like, I'm not saying I'm there. Let's just be clear. And I'm not sure that there is a, a rival <laughs> spot. But I really think that that presence people can feel. And I think that that, to me, has made all the difference between whether I will go back or I will not go back to see someone. Mm. Because, sure, you can take more courses, you can become, have a bigger brain, but that doesn't make you different from anyone else because we're all doing that. Like, we're literally required to continue to learn. So that's the skill that I think if you can work on and, like, master, I say master, like, and I don't, like, I, I don't mean checkmark master, but continue to practice from that space, mm-hmm. then I think that that's how you become a better practitioner. Hmm. Because, again, I don't think that it's completely... Like what we do doesn't necessarily make it better if if we did the exact same thing. I think that's the only thing that sets us apart is mm-hmm. is being connected. Yeah. I think it definitely goes back to your answer to that question about the right treatment for you is point one, two, three, and four and right. her W. But the difference in efficacy of the treatment really, really is in the practitioner. And yeah. I think that's what makes our particular branch of medicine, and not just acupuncture, but this whole complementary integrative medicine world, so beautiful is the fact that the practitioner matters. Yeah. And the right practitioner for a person matters. Yeah. I might go to one practitioner and it's this person's not the right for me, but you might go to the exact same practitioner and be like, this is the best experience. So totally making sure that you mesh with your practitioner. Mm. And on the side of that, or in the same breath, have you by chance experienced not meshing with a client? Like no matter what you try, you can't help them feel felt? Of course. Yeah. Of course. I'm not sure necessarily if I could tell you why. Sometimes it feels... Like they're looking for something that I just don't know how to give them. But I'm not actually sure if they know what that is. Um, so some people are looking for answers. But, and, and they're looking for it externally, I think, maybe is part of it. And so when I keep kind of going back, like, okay, like, what are, what are you doing to help move this forward? I think there's this, like, it's either you're going to buy into that or you're not. Mm. And the people that I'm going to jive with best are people who are going to work with me i'm not just working for you and i don't mean that in a mean way i just mean that like this is a partnership in this hour we're going to work together Mm -hmm. and if you're just here for this one hour for me to do my thing it feels like a very one-way street yeah and for some reason that that's just not going to jive with me Mm -hmm. 
I think that's part of building a practice you love. Mm. And it's super important. I mean, the burnout rate in our industry is high and largely because people are not building the practice they love and they're not seeing the clients that energize them. Like you get a day full of four, five, two of those types of clients where you're just like, no matter what you do, you can't seem to match their wavelength. Like Mm -hmm. you can't do it. Oh, it's so exhausting. And if you've built a practice where you're just, you see anybody based on anything and, you know, you go through that cookie cutter treatment, you just mm-hmm. book them in, it's recipe for an exhausting practice yeah. versus building a client base that you do strongly resonate with and, mm-hmm. and attracting that type of client and making sure that you have your type. Well, and I think that kind of goes back to this idea of the ego, because why are you, and not to say that I don't have some of these why do you see those people that you don't resonate with? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not really sure what that conversation goes like. Like, I, I'm never going to say like, hey, like, I don't know that we get along that great. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you want to keep seeing me, I will obviously keep booking you. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure how, especially in the beginning, right? Yeah. Um, however, I will say that the days that I am more in tune, more in alignment, going into work, feeling less like not stressed out, not overwhelmed those days, I feel like I like that I'm showing up as my best self. People feed off of that. Mm-hmm. They know. Yeah. And I think that's like my goal to be there yeah. all the time. Still learning that skill. Mm-hmm. And I think I think within that, it's a very important skill to learn how to identify when you're not meshing with a client and they do drain your energy and you don't match with them and learn how to skillfully refer them out. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. I think that's for everybody's best interest because True. when you aren't True. driving with a client, they're just not getting the improvement that they otherwise could based on everything we've talked about, right? Like if you don't have a really good mesh if you're not vibing if you're not on the same wavelength as your client or you don't feel that then the session is not nearly as powerful i think part of our responsibility as a practitioner is to identify that um, maybe investigate why but once we've identified that is refer the client to somebody who they likely will mesh with however what happens when they are getting results you have that conversation if they're getting results Mm -hmm. but my experience has been when that mesh isn't there, the results are far less than they should be. Mm. And I'm certainly okay having that conversation. If I if I hit session four, session five, somewhere in there, and we're making moderate progress compared to what I know can happen with this whatever illness I'm dealing with or condition, if we're not making the progress that I believe we're making, and simultaneously I'm aware of the fact that when I walk into the treatment room, we're just we're just not meshing. For me, it's like, yeah, we're making progress, but I, I think there's another practitioner that's going to be a better match for this person and refer out. Uh, I have no problem doing that whatsoever. Fair. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I think I need to grow my referral list. <laughs> you know, that was, that was a really great conversation. I think one of the things I enjoyed most about it is, is how in love with the practice you are. Mm-hmm. Most of the conversations I have are with people who have been in it you know, for five, 10, 15, 30 years, right? And there's a different energy to somebody who's been in the business for a long time versus somebody who's like just 
still in that romantic love phase, which is kind of what it feels like with I you. I hope that never changes. <laughs> I really hope it never changes. Right, 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 yeah. I mean, ask me that another 10 years, but I mean, I fell in love with this medicine when I was in grade six, mm-hmm. and I'm still in love with it. Yeah. So uh, I feel very fortunate that there was a lot of kind of synchronistic um things in my life that kind of led me here, but mm-hmm. I really hope that I just continue to love it yeah. because I really do love seeing people feel their best. Mm-hmm. And if I can be that hour a week, every two weeks, once a month, mm-hmm. and that feels like it fills my cup. Yeah. And the other kind of cool thing that I think is different than maybe it's kind of similar with massage, but you don't have to be sick. To come and see me, mm-hmm. which is fun too. Yeah, those are my favorite. Right? Yeah. And it feels so good to be able to kind of help check in with someone because it's hard to do it to your, for yourself. Like, what do I need? Sometimes you can listen to these things, but sometimes it's just nice to have a second set of eyes mm-hmm. of like, how do I take this to the next level? Or mm. how do I maintain this? Or, you know, for example, like if someone's pregnant, like they don't have a medical condition. We're just making sure that their pregnancy goes as amazing as it can go. Right. It doesn't have to be, you know, that thr- third trimester and you're just so excited for baby to be out. Mm-hmm. So that's the other part that I really like is that it's not necessarily always heavy. Sometimes it's really just super yeah. exciting and like, how do we take, you know, how do we take your 90% and make it 90 two percent or 95 percent like how do we do that yeah those are my my favorite like that's my my current client base i dealt with chronic illness for so many years like now all i want to see is the people in the 90 and up that's it i love it i love work with that type of patient yeah Mm -hmm. so yeah i hope i never fall out of love with it I got a hunch you won't. I, I've, I've taught a lot of students and seen people, different people's approach to the, this medicine and different medicines. And, and I think you got the, the right attitude, the right so mentality. So yeah, you're in it for the right reasons. I think no, that's probably the most important. You're in it for the right reasons. So, Well, and maybe going back to like who's right for this, I feel like you don't go into this otherwise. If you mm-hmm. don't have that right reason, maybe if it's that family business like you were kind of mentioning earlier, but. I think most people go into it because they didn't get that experience from Western med. Mm-hmm. Um, Western medicine has never been a draw for me yeah. because of that. And I don't dislike my doctors, just for the record. I still go and see them. Um, we definitely have our different difference in a, of opinion, but... Um, they're not bad people. They're mm-hmm. they're just doing their best from what they know. Exactly. And so, however, it's just not the right medicine or the right fit for me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, as we finish up, is there any place in particular that the listeners can get a hold of you or follow along with your, your practice and what you do? Yeah. So um, I'm currently working uh, out of Inglewood at the well. Um, so you can find me in Inglewood at uh, Botanical Point. Um, Jess will link that for you guys in the uh, show notes as well. Um, and otherwise, if you'd like to follow along with my journey on uh, on Instagram, I'm your.yyc.com. 
acupuncturist on Instagram. Nice. So uh, there you can watch me fumble through my Instagram <laughs> posts as I learn how to, uh, you know, mm. be a face on Instagram. Well, I, I certainly look forward to seeing how your career and your practice evolves and develops. And again, thank you very much for chatting. Yeah, I really enjoyed I it. I appreciate you yeah. having me. Awesome.